Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's episode is all about closing the distance, the general rules you need to follow, and then all my tips and tricks for calling, stalking, and ambushing. So stay tuned. It's going to be a fun one. Well, hey, Josh. What's up, Baxter? I've given up on creativity, man. I'm just going to say, hey, Josh, every time. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. But uh, you sent me a really cool, really awesome uh, email that we got from one of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. We've got got one or two of this. uh, We we thought it'd be cool to do a a call out for uh, Jaron. We're obviously not going to say his full name, but you know who you are. Um, Sent a really awesome email thanking us for the podcast and uh, talking about his first first hunt this fall. So we're super excited for you, man. And uh, for those of you listening too, we'd love to hear from you. It's super exciting to hear feedback, get comments. So this one goes to Jaron. Yeah. Thanks, Jaron. Uh, Baxter forwarded over to me. I read it and I was just like, hell yeah. Like you are the exact person we do this for. So thanks for sending that. You are, you are Josh. (laughs) (laughs) You're a fellow first timer. It's really cool. Uh, I was, I was telling too, I'm super jealous. I think the best time, one of the best times of my life is that first year or two of learning because there's just so much fun stuff, uh, which kind of ties into today's podcast. There's so many, so many cool tips and tricks for all these different things, calling, stalking, ambushing. So we're going to get real nitty gritty on the detailed tactics that have worked for me over time. So yeah, I'm really excited about this one. And uh, before the we started recording, I was telling Baxter how I had a job interview today and I was basically telling him like, man, like they want me to start earlier if I get the job. And I'm like, but I have to, I have to hunt elk for the whole month of September. I don't want to give that up. We went through a whole strategy on how to, uh, how to position that right to, uh, yeah. to get his month. So we're going to, we're going to figure it out. He's going elk hunting, hell or high water. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Good times. Um, Oh man, where do we get on this? Such uh, so much good stuff. So, well, we did locating elk a week or two back of like how do you find them quick, which is important, right? Just figure out if this is the right area you're in. Mm-hmm. Then we went into where to camp, which is kind of your strategy, as you summed it up so well last week, Josh. Like this is your strategy for how do you hunt elk? Like it's where you camp, mm-hmm. and then now it's getting into the the last step or two, which is closing the distance. This is going from I found elk to how do I get close to them. And then next week, we'll talk about like how to make the shot happen. So like all the little tips and tricks to seal the deal. So this is kind of that middle piece, which is the glue between those two really critical parts. And it's awesome because like throughout this series, I feel like each week we're just getting closer and closer. First, it's picking a state, then a unit. And now how are we going to get there? Fly or drive? We're going to pick the best spot training. Oh, yeah. And now we're, we're zeroing in on. Exactly. It's been so hard for me to hold off on this and not write about it for like three, four months. So it's, yeah. it's really cool stuff. This is the fun. This is the fun stuff. So we're in yeah, it so now. Once you locate them, like you see them maybe across the valley or however distance, what's the first step? Like you don't want to just bum rush them right like yeah yeah and so it just you know kind of depends on how you located them um you know whether it was sign whether it's you see them whether you know xyz and i think we talked about this the best elk hunters are not the ones that run the same playbook time and time again oh that totally works and like guys that do that cleanup maybe i should take back the best hunters whatever we're not trying to judge here but i think i personally believe that you should be able to use any of the three methods which is like calling stalking or ambushing because there's times when they each make sense, you know, for themselves. 
Mm-hmm. If, you, if you hear a bull going off, like, yeah, it's great to call. Although I'd push back and say like, how much calling are you doing? We'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a minute. Um, if you just can't see elk, you don't hear elk, you don't know what's going on, but you see sign everywhere, then like setting up a good ambush on a wallow or a trail or a pinch point is a really good tactic. So it, you know, it depends. That's always my answer on this, right? It always depends on your individual situation. But um, I think there's some general rules for this and we can start off there and talk about like the three things you really have to worry about no matter what tactic you're dealing with. Okay, so we'll start general and then get specific. Get real specific, yeah. So uh, you're going to get sick of this because I've said it so many times, but like number one rule, number one rule is the wind is everything, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, these three rules, by the way, it's the smell, sight, and hearing of elk. So it's like, how are you fooling the elk to get close enough to them, yeah. really? But like the wind is everything. And I can give you all the reasons and run down the list and do this stuff. And maybe I'd start with a story, which is, there's been multiple times like one year we were camped on a ridge and there were elk 800 yards away and this is like the first or second year i went so i wasn't really familiar with how well elk could smell and the wind turned and went directly from me to them i was like well this is half a mile it's no big deal of course it takes a few minutes to half a mile but five minutes later every elk in that herd just looked up and looked straight at me i hadn't moved i wasn't skyline i was completely hidden in camo full camo nothing else turned and bolted right half a mile away that's crazy what about when we camp a few hundred yards i I guess it just depends on the direction of the wind then yeah i'm talking about a pretty unique situation which is there i'm not in a tent i've just been hiking i'm sweaty Mm -hmm. i'm directly there winds going straight to them gotcha um in the night you know there's really not much wind like that i'm talking like a 20 mile an hour powerful yeah. oh, okay. wind, right on a ridge mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i know if you're camping in there that's a bad idea obviously but uh, we talked about that i think where it's like if there is a direct wind going to them you can't yeah you can't do that but okay i think it illustrates the power uh of the wind it's it's everything and the elk don't really have great eyesight they don't have bad eyesight but not great eyesight uh, they're not really that sensitive to noise. They're like, oh, like their nose is thermonuclear good. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a lot of what I'll get from guys is like, oh, should I bring scent blocker or should I, you know, wash my clothes extra well? And like, Josh, I think you and I are both sweaters, right? Like we're both. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm definitely a sweater for sure. <laughs> and even if you're not a sweater, it takes maybe an hour before you are already stinking and sweating. Um, mm-hmm. One of the worst pieces of backpacking gear I ever took for elk was scentless deodorant. That was the worst waste <laughs> of life. I, if I hadn't, if I really didn't have a high standard for like treating the wilderness well, I would have probably just left it somewhere and burned it. But like it was, you know, I obviously packed it out, but that was the worst waste of weight uh, ever because you're always going to stink, right? Like no matter what you do. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about how I don't, most hunters, I don't wear. I don't change underwear. I don't change socks even for three or four days. <laughs> Pretty typical, <laughs> yeah. despite what newbies think. Um, yeah, you're never going to outwit their nose. And I'd argue even if you came straight out of a shower and tried to do, you know, use scent blocker or whatever this stuff is, you're not going to do it either. So yeah, all that to say, get over trying to fool their nose. The only way you can do it is to be downwind, like full stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Downwind or sidewind. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised with how um ultra light that you pack. I'm surprised you brought the deodorant out there. Was that the first time you and Margaret went out together or something? Or? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, it was actually just the first solo year, believe it or not. Oh, really? I just thought, I mean, I think everyone has the same thing. You hear 
let's put it this way. Scent blocker is one of the most lucrative items you could sell as a company. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of marketing dollars behind it. Oh. And there's huge margins on that stuff. So there's oh. been a massive marketing machine on East Coast bow hunting for scent blocking items for years. And so guys are conditioned to think about that as like part of their standard hunting routine. Gotcha. So that's kind of where it comes from. But yeah, it was my first year. It was the same year I took two packs. So like I said, I learned everything the wrong way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but once you screw up, you have a lot more conviction. So yeah, so that's rule number one. I'll keep hammering that one into you. I think the number one piece of advice I can give guys there is like, find a wind checker that fits in the pocket of your bino harness. Mm-hmm. If you don't have one on your bino harness, find wind checker that fits in the pocket in your pants where your right hand is. Like make it so stinking easy for you to pull that thing out and give it a quick, you know, uh, squeeze, I guess. Yeah. Because that's like, if I'm out there, it's Margaret laughed at me the first time we went, right? I mean, I'm checking the wind every 30 to 45 seconds when I'm moving in. Cause like it's and that, so it's like in your, Oh, so all after, the time. when you're moving in, it's basically in your hand the whole time. Yeah. And even when I'm hiking every five minutes, I'm doing that just to yeah. check. Cause it's like, that is, that is the thing that matters when you're getting close to elk. Uh, yeah. Okay. If you're so I think hiking, I've hammered that enough, right? Yeah. If, if if you're quick question, if you're hiking and you're you're like squeezing that wind checker and you realize like you're heading in the direction the wind is going into, do you change directions where you're hiking? Oh, here we go again. It depends. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I'm going into a little area, like I'm going into a meadow or somewhere I know elk are, I want to go check it out. Then yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna back out or move. Yeah. If I'm just uh, if I'm just moving up a basin, for example. Mm-hmm. I might keep going and just try to like say the wind's kind of going up into the right. If I'm on the left side of the Creek, I'll switch to the right side of the Creek mm-hmm. so that, you know, I'm not blowing wind over the Creek and it's only going up one side of the base. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm like that. Right. So, cause you can never, I mean, if you waited for the wind to be perfect, you could, you could like think about it. If you go into a valley and out of a valley, unless you perfectly time it, the wind's always going to be slightly wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. At some this point. Is, yeah. This is kind of reinforcing my thing on camping, which is every time you move, you're doing damage to an area no matter what you do, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, it just is what it is. But yeah, if I'm going somewhere, I will change my plans. But if I'm just moving, I'll try to minimize impact and get to where I'm going so I get out of the way. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, So that's that's the most important. That's smell. Um, Noise, we hit on this a little bit, but we'll reiterate it since this is all about getting close. you really will be amazed at two things. One, like if you're within a hundred yards or so, elk will freak if they hear a noise or they'll pin you, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're outside of that general range, you can make a lot of noise, like a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I've run, literally physically run through dead timber, just crushing stuff, making, you know, cow noises. So as long as you're covering it up with stuff that sounds like you're an elk, you're usually okay. Hmm, okay. Um, And there's this art form to being like, I'm going to move fast and get in real close and risk it. And then completely shutting up and having the patience to like walk incredibly slow. Yeah. So if you're within, you know, a hundred yards or maybe 200 yards away from an elk, that's when you don't want to make noise. Even if you're like raking or something like that. Yeah. Anytime they could see you or get to you really quick. And we'll talk a lot about that kind of the doorway theory next week on shot placement, Mm -hmm. but elk will only ever come to as far as they can see the the closest point at which they can see you. So they're not going to walk in, right? They're going to stop the second they can see you. So if you make a noise somewhere 
they're unbelievably good at echolocating. Oh. I don't want to spoil next week. We'll talk all about that, but they know exactly where you are when you make a noise. So okay. yeah, you got to be, you have to think about the last time you made a noise, they could understand where you're at. Mm-hmm. And you basically don't want to make one inside of the area you're going to shoot or close to it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's really it. You know, just move fast when you need to. Um, there's a time, for example, I almost got a shot on an elk that we, we see every year on one side of a basin and there's like a 150 yard meadow between me and him. And he was like 30 yards inside the timber. And he walked into the timber a little deeper and went around a corner. And I looked over at Margaret and I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And I literally physically sprinted 220 yards up the side of the hill and dove into the timber. Whoa. Right. I mean, you could hear me across the valley. It's like thump, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Uh, crunch, crunch, crunch. And all I was doing is just every 10, 15 seconds, a little, little mew kind of noise. Yeah. And uh, Margaret said she watched him the whole time and he, he didn't even look up. Whoa. Like he just doesn't, it didn't even phase him, right? I mean, I ended up about 80 yards from him and I could never get a shot lane and then the wind switched. So it was almost, and that was the biggest pull I've ever seen. So, wow. But that's a good example of, you know, if you were too hesitant, you'd never cross that 200 yard meadow and then you'd never get an opportunity. But if you're, there's just kind of a blend of the two, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's only one way to find out and that's go try it, go screw it up. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you can, you don't have to worry as much as long as you're making noises like cow calls. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so third rule, and then we'll move on to the, the real tactical stuff. Um, motion and outline matter. So this is when it comes to their sight elk, let's talk a little bit about elk eyes. So ours, you know, we only have like about 180 degrees. You know, if you put your two hands on the very outside limit of your periphery, we only see about half of a circle and that's because we're predators, right? We're focused on uh, resolving really good detail in the center of our eyes and the rods and cones in our eyes are distributed in a way that makes that possible. And this is also why we talked about this. When you're glassing, you should never focus on an area. You should kind of unfocus because the edges of your eyes are actually the best part for picking up motion. Remember how we talked mm. about that? Oh, I don't remember that. I think it was when we were in Cache Creek and we we're glassing. That's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You don't ever like look too hard at a point because then you're using the center of your eye, which is not as good at picking up motion versus mm-hmm. the outside of your eye is the best part at picking up motion. Mm-hmm. Well, elk can see 270 degrees. So almost an entire circle just standing still. Their eyes are on the side of their head, right? Instead of right. in front of their head. And so their entire system is designed to do one thing and that's to pick up motion Mm -hmm. so evolutionary or whatever you want to believe the way they're created made evolved they are 100 percent optimized to pick up motion versus like look at small detail ahead of them yeah and so once you know that it's 280 degrees my bad got that from a biology article um but what's really important with elk is not that they can see you right it's not that like you're physically in their vision. It's that you do not move when you're mm-hmm. in their vision. Uh, and so I've been, you know, the first elk time we talked about that, there was a cow that stared at me for 10 minutes. So she picked up a little movement, pinned me and just kept staring at me that entire time. And uh, eventually when a, that six point bull came up to her, she looked away, but that's kind of the level at which another story. First time Margaret went with me up to where I'm hunting now we were sitting there and a bull walked right in. I think I told that one and another one, but he stared at both of us 30 yards away for like two minutes. And we were really backlit, which we'll talk about in a second. 
and didn't even flinch. So if you have the guts to just not move at all, elk don't really see you. Wow. Yeah. How do you control your breathing at that point? Like, I feel like my heart's going to be racing. Well, it feels like, it feels like the amount of racing and like your chest breathing and that kind of thing, um, is going to give you away, but it never does. The other thing with motion with elk too, is like smooth motion. Mm -hmm. So if you're breathing, you got to breathe. So just make sure it's in out. Right. Mm -hmm. But like jerky movements, they pick that up even better. Right. So even if you've got, like, if you've got a knock and arrow, don't like grab it real quick and put it in to try to Mm -hmm. avoid them. Like grab it slow. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's it. They also like, they don't recognize a human hand, right? So even if they saw your hand, they're not like, oh, it's a human hand. What mm-hmm. they look for and what all elk key on is a human outline, right? What's unnatural in the woods is something standing on its two legs upright. Mm-hmm. That's what they understand is not, oh, there's a human hand or human face. They don't know what a human is. They just see your outline. Mm-hmm. This is also why all camo patterns are fractals, right? They're looking to break up your outline. They're not looking to make you look like the thing behind you and mimic it. They're looking to break up your outline. Mm-hmm. And so that's the fundamental basics of camo as well. So I think we talked a little bit about outline. These all blur together. Like we talked about the other week because they all kind of intertwine, but the worst possible thing you can do is skyline yourself, right? Or right. give them a high contrast environment behind you. Key is behind you so that they can see you, but that's, that's how I'll find you. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever you're sneaking in on an elk, try to have something dark or, you know, large behind you so they don't have good contrast on your outline and make sure that of all things, minimize motion, right? Yeah. I heard it's always good to stay in the shadows as much as you can, right? So like light's not hitting you directly. Absolutely. Yeah. They can see a spectrum of infrared and ultraviolet that we can't see as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of conjecture on whether some of the clothes we have emit that, but Either way, if you're not in the sun, that's not really happening. So, um, got it. Yet another good way to, to deal with that stuff. Uh, we could go on for a while on this one. We will next week because it's a really important part of making the shot. But um, those are kind of the big three, right? It's like fooling their three senses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, with those in mind, you know, we can talk about calling, ambushing, and stalking because you're going to use those three things to to get close to them. So. Maybe we uh, maybe we jump into calling, and you've uh, you just got a diaphragm or two, right? Yeah, I got a diaphragm call, and then I have the other one, the mouth call thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. And then yeah, I got like a, a external read call. Yeah, that one. Yep. Uh, and then I have a bugle tube as well. Awesome. I suck at it. <laughs> hey, 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 everyone does. <laughs> the first day you pick up a diaphragm, you're like, I can't even make this thing make a noise. Yeah, I can uh, kind of make a noise, but it's not very pretty. Yeah, it just takes it just takes a few days. It's brutal, but it takes a few days, and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, I get it." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the thing that helped me most is one to make kind of a th- noise with your tongue. Like think mm-hmm. about the noise you're making when the diaphragm's not there, and then realize it's not about how, how hard you blow; it's about your tongue pressure. Okay, so you're just consistent, but you. <laughs> before we get too deep into that let me back up here and say like there's areas that i'm confident i know what i'm doing or at least know enough of what i'm doing right this is like this is like dating or my wife i ever say i understand her women then like (laughs) you should probably shoot me it's the same with elk hunting (laughs) no one ever fully understands it Mm -hmm. uh but then there's areas where like you know only doing this for five years like massively massively cripples me compared to someone who's been doing it 30 years and that's calling right mm-hmm. someone like 
Paul Medell, Elknet guy, um, Chris Rowe, Rowe Hunting Resources, Corey Jacobson, and Elk 101. Those guys are phenomenal at this. And like, if people want to learn, they should go go take their courses, download their app, and do their stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Elknet app is one of the best. You downloaded that, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, really cool. So I, the biggest value I ever got out of those things is being able to play the elk noises. Yeah, like that was really cool because on the Elknet app, you can play like the actual, an actual elk making that actual sound. Yep. And it's cool because it'll tell you what they're saying. Like there's a challenge bugle and like mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now, a nervous grunt, a chuckle. Like what does this mean? Yep. Uh, a lip ball bugle. It says a sound used by a bull to keep hot cows close. Like it's pretty crazy that they translate this stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's really good for you to be able to kind of benchmark your stuff and Right. We should uh, we should get try to get Paul on here sometime. He's, oh, he's a really awesome. passionate guy. It's cool to listen to him talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's a disclaimer on calling. I'm not going to pretend that I know this. I've called in plenty of bulls. I can do decently well at calling, but I know I'm not you know, nearly the level of those guys. Um, with that in mind, I think there's three tactics that I've learned for calling, especially as a guy who's new. Right. The the expertise I do have is I'm someone who was you five years ago. Right. And mm-hmm. I know there's a few things I. I would say to guys that are newer to calling um, that I remember from when I was going through this. Uh, so let's hit those. Like the first and like most important in my mind is like call sparingly. <laughs> like don't call a ton. <laughs> Interesting. Cause like those born and raised guys call like, well, I guess they're good at calling, but they call like hundreds of times, I think a day or something like that. Yeah. And so uh, maybe I should just be real clear with this too. This is like my advice and, there's, they have a totally unique style, right? Which is to call it like they're, if you want to do that and you're like a hundred percent heart set on getting bugling elk to come in, mm-hmm. then yeah. Hiking 20 miles a day, covering ground, like crazy bugling yeah, every minute or two, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen their, their playbook. Like that's how you do it. Yeah. Um, and you're looking for that one to 5% of elk that are turned on and calling any given time, mm-hmm. right? you're not dealing with the 95% of them that are silent. Yeah. Um, you know, some days it's like 50% of them, but that's only like two or three days of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to do, but again, operating under the principle that you want to be good at all three. Um, and that said, the other thing is those guys are, there's three or four of them. They go eight, 10, 15 miles back. Cause they know they can get an elk out in one trip. Yeah. Like most, so many guys. Yeah keep going yeah yeah and they have the bikes too so they're like biking everywhere and yeah mm-hmm. so i guess like you said it's it's a certain style it is and it's the only thing that's bad about certain styles is if you mix and match like you try to take their strategy and apply it oh. to what we've the way we've kind of dove into this the higher odds play where you're moving only three to four miles in at multiple spots yeah yeah um, and in that situation Elk have heard so many hunters, right? Any two to three-year-old bull has heard thousands of bugles. And uh, I mean, as you can see from the app, the level of nuance even within their calls is incredible. Like the high going low or the low going high is a completely different meaning. So all that to say, like if you call poorly, you're basically telling them exactly where you are and that you're not an elk. Mm-hmm. And I've countless, countless times I've been on the other side of a valley or in a different area and I hear a hunter call. And if I can tell it's a hunter, they sure as heck can. I'll look over and the elk are physically sprinting away from that area. Wow. I've seen that like five or 10 times. So all I'm saying, I'm not trying to scare you from calling. I'm saying don't call that often. Um, my general thought on this is like, just call, like if you get into a, 
an area, like a new valley, give it one, right? Just see what happens. Make sure you're not skyline, you're well hidden because they'll also look right at that area. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get something that responds, awesome. Now you can kind of, you know, work down on him. Um, but I would also not, I would just work down on him. I wouldn't try to call because you guys will get a response and they'll just instantly start calling like crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you got a response, you now know there's an interested elk, you know where he is. So like spend 10 or 15 minutes getting closer to him, then call. Yeah. Right? So I think the less you call in these high pressured areas, the better. Um, and you will know it when an elk's turned on. It's not like, I wonder if this is working. Like he will come back at you. He'll be engaged. He'll be really interested, right? Okay. I feel like when I get out there, I'm going to hear some like a human call and think it's an elk call and get really excited and start heading that way. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That happens all the time. <laughs> You'll learn over time, like what it is, but yeah, I think like there's one thing I learned from the born and raised outdoor series is something I've learned totally too, is that you can't, you can never be a hundred percent sure. Mm -hmm. Like there's been multiple times I've been like, there's no way that's an elk. And it's like mm -hmm. some weird elk that's got the worst. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, you're like, you shouldn't even be an elk. <laughs> <laughs> so you never really know, unfortunately, yeah. unless the guy screws up or it's, he makes the best way I can tell if there's a hunter calling is they make the exact same bugle every time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Best elk callers I've ever heard. And the guys that kill elk year after year, every call they make is slightly different. Yeah. It's new. Cause that's what an elk does, right? It's got a slightly different, it's talking. It's not like, hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. It's, you know, yeah. there's difference. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, but that's, that would be my, my advice. And we can talk more specific strategies on that, but I would go, I would go read and listen to those things. And I would generally shut up and wait until you're within a few hundred yards of the elk to do anything serious. Cause then you're yeah. into the zone that they'll really engage with you. And I remember we were having a conversation uh, maybe two weeks ago and I asked you what are the most important calls to learn? Like if you had, you know, if you're limited time and you had to just learn a couple, I think you said it was the location bugle. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the one you use when you get to a new valley or something. Yep. And then there's the cow call, right? Yeah. Okay. Totally. And I might call four, three to five times in a day, location bugle. Okay. Three to uh, five. Which is not much, maybe 10 times in a day. I don't know. Like very limited, like just peak hours, morning, early morning or late night. Mm -hmm. Might give it one or two just to see. Um, also, I'm almost, almost always doing it when I'm moving into an area, not when I'm in the area I want to be. Yeah. Because then they know. Uh, so it's like an exploratory. It's totally exploratory. Yeah. Okay. But cow calls, that's a totally different thing. It's almost impossible uh, to screw those up once you get good at them. Like they're very easy to do. And uh, yeah, you can call cow call every five minutes, you know, no big deal. Of the day? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. They'll huh. be, because you're making a noise that's not that intrusive and um, they're just curious about. So yeah, if I'm moving, like I'm hiking, I'll cow call every five minutes ish or something just to cover my tracks. Oh, okay. Um, as long as you're doing not a, open territory. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then it sequences, like a lot of those apps and things have great sequences. Um, we'll talk about that in ambushing, but there's some great ways to deal with those. So yeah. Is a sequence basically like you're mimicking a conversation? Basically it's uh, a sequence is usually it's one of two things. Either it's cold, like you don't know a elk around and you're trying to use calling to call them in. Mm -hmm. You're just doing a setup and then just like blind calling. Or you get like a, an elk that isn't committing or isn't really doing, it's kind of light responses. Mm -hmm. Or you hear them, 
a long way away. And then you're like, so what am I like? What's the plan here? Gotcha. Um, and that's the type of stuff I shouldn't be talking about on here. There's guys that are far better at that. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, so two more things on calling though. Like, and this is, if I can give you one tip on calling, it's, it's to rake. <laughs> so raking is um, probably one of the most underrated tactics here. And we don't have that many listeners yet. So we can say that uh, because we'll probably not say that if we do get a bunch, but people don't think about doing it. It's almost impossible to screw up because you just take a dead branch and rake it against a dead part of a tree. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and hunters all have like watched videos and stuff and they want to call elk in. Right. So they just, I just don't think guys think about it. I don't think like, I never see hunters do this when they move in on elk on public land. Um, and it works amazing for me. Um, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Wait, so how exactly do you rake a tree and is there a wrong way to do it? Yeah, there is, but it's generally pretty simple. You just find a dead branch that's about the diameter of an elk horn. Okay. And you kind of rub it up and down a dead tree or a tree that's close by. Okay. Um, the best way any to tree. do this, yeah, any, any tree, smaller tree generally, because that's what an elk will rub against, oh, but yeah. you can make it sound like a smaller tree on a big one. Okay. I would just watch, uh, you'll hear it in the woods too. I would just watch videos of a bull raking and if you oh, watch good. three or four of them, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I know what to do. Okay. Um, the reason raking works is it's kind of, a, it's a challenge. It's like the bull saying, I'm here and I want to fight. I want to play, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of an aggression signaling type thing. I'm sure someone mm-hmm. could, uh, Paul could articulate that much better than I could. But if you follow the tactic I'm talking about where you hear an elk or you bugle and get a response and then you don't do too much and you get within that magical 100 or 200 yards, Mm-hmm. and you do that it sends off every alarm bell in his brain because it's like oh my gosh a bull snuck in here he's gonna steal my cows oh interesting. and it's you know it's not something that he's like listens to it and he goes this guy's a bad caller that's a human right right, right. It's, just, it's just a rake huh. so that's a good one the only thing about raking is they tend to come in pretty darn quick oh really and if you're solo hunting that means you got to rake and run right you got to rake do it the only problem is now you're within 100 200 yards so running it's a lot of noise they'll know where you are so it can be a pretty tricky one to try to rake quickly and then transfer forward 30 40 50 yards to be in a good shop uh, spot which we'll talk about next week yeah wait by coming in pretty quick you mean so if i start raking and i'm like within 100 200 yards in they're gonna if they're responding to me and they're in the area they're just gonna run straight to that sound or where yep. they can see the sound i guess probably within 30 seconds to a minute if that um Dang. and i've had that happen multiple times and i screwed up the first two times i did this because i like i had my little sister do it once when she was with me mm-hmm. and i just went 50 yards ahead of her and being you know new to it not an idiot just new to it i went straight to where the bull was right and what does he yeah. do he draws a straight line from where he is to where she was and he walked dead in on me frontal at like 40 hung Whoa. up and looked at me and then gone. Oh, interesting. But so if I could... just walked 20 yards to the left, that would have been a shot. Interesting. So if I'm solo, how would you recommend me doing raking? Um, I would think, raking? yeah, well, we can talk a bit more about it next week, but for now I would say, try to think of what's, what are the objects you can get between him and you? Okay. So it's hard if you're to see. over. Yeah. If you're over a little rise, if you're around a corner, if you're through some thick timber, something he can't see, the absolute key is he can't see through it. Okay. Because if you do that, then all you've got to do is move up 10, 20 yards, if that, right. And it kind of oh. blocks your sound from him. And so yeah. you got to get to 
the fundamental of making a good shot, which we'll discuss next week. I've said that how many times now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so hard not to just dive into this stuff uh, is you know, finding the doorway that he's going to look into and knowing where he's going to stop. Right. And look, right. So you can kind of manipulate him. So, you know, bring me back to raking when we talk about that, but yeah, you can, okay. there's little ways like that where you can do stuff if you're solo. Um, final thing on calling. I'm just moving quick here, man. So just definitely stop me. Oh, <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm, I'm super excited about this one. And now I'm even more excited about next week too. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Uh, the last thing I'll say on calling is if you do do a blind sequence, like where you just sit there and run through one of these sequences, you know, like a uh, calling one where it's every five minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Always, 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 always wait 45 minutes to an hour in that area. Just quiet. Just hang out because uh, a lot of guys will call for 15 to 30 minutes and move. Mm-hmm. But the amount of elk I've seen come in at 45 minutes to an hour, the times I've scouted after I've killed an elk. Um, here's a great story. I killed an elk the second year, first morning, went out with Margaret to another unit, walked right up to a hillside. We camped there. There were two bulls right around us that night. Woke up in the morning. I did a calling sequence because I could hear three bugling. Uh, I was like, I couldn't get them in. I suck at calling. We went about our stuff, made breakfast, made a ton of noise, did our stuff from 45 minutes to an hour 10, all three bulls came in and wow. all three bulls walked up to the point they could see where I was standing. So I was standing 50, 60 yards away from where my tent was mm-hmm. and looked directly at the stump I was standing on. That's crazy. And that was at 40, 50 and an hour 10, right? Wow. Um, and so they take a while, you know, they're not like in a rush to get over there. Um, cause they, they're like, Oh, you're stationary. Why should I rush? I'm going to eat. Um, but that was kind of the first thing that tipped me off. And after that, I've been blown away with how consistent that is. I don't know what it is about that. Like, is it just the distance they can hear you from and how long it takes them to walk or whatever, but they will very, very often come in at that like 45 minute to an hour mark. And is that, do you use that rule for every kind of call, like a rake, a location bugle or any kind of cow call that you're doing? Yeah. Well, I'd never cold rake. I'd never just randomly rake oh, okay. look for one, but yeah, I'm talking like a sequence, um, if you you've got the app, um, a cold calling sequence basically. Mm-hmm. So okay. you're just like making cow noises. Um, maybe you're slowly escalating bugles too. You're making it sound like there's elk around, and you're trying to get elk to come over and investigate. Gotcha. Okay. And that if you do that, you'll be calling every five to ten minutes. You know, I would just uh, hang out. Okay. And it also doesn't hurt to stop calling whatsoever at like thirty to forty minutes in, and then just sit there for thirty minutes. Because the problem is if you do elk start coming in and then you rip a call and they're like 100 yards away then they like look where you are right right so it's very easy to screw up something if elk are coming in but um yeah and it should go without saying but i screwed this one up again i could tell you yet another story but always knock an arrow like always 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 knock an arrow whenever you do anything in elk country where you're stationary dang Uh, okay i had one come in that i was calling I didn't, I was kind of in a tiff with Margaret. She was like, oh, there's, there's going to be an elk here. I was like, there's no way we're this close to the car. I'm not whatever. And she's like, just call. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I just called for like 10 minutes and boom, elk walks in and I didn't even have an arrow knocked. And so I had to like oh. knock the arrow and we'll talk about why that's such a big problem next week. So yeah, if you're going to stay in an area, even if you're eating lunch for like more than 10, 15 minutes, just 
put an arrow on the string. Okay. So if you're stationary, put an arrow in the string. Man, it must be the emotional roller coaster that you must go through every time you put it, like just just knocking an arrow and thinking in your head, like, wow, this could go through an animal soon. Like it's pretty oh intense. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my those are my tactical tips on calling. Like we said, we're not going through like a giant overview of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk let's stalking. Call, yeah. This is fun. This is probably your favorite way to hunt from what I've talked to you about. You, you kind of love the like spot and stalk style, right? It seems like it would be really fun to just slowly, slowly creep in on something and yeah, without it even knowing at all. That's that's what seems like it would be fun. Like I've I've done it one time I went camping in Joshua Tree and there was a little rabbit there. I was just solo camping. Yeah. I saw the rabbit and I just slowly like over like anyway, it was like 20 feet from me, and I just yep. slowly over like 45 minutes, just one foot in front. And it's just so fun. I don't know. Oh, yeah. This this stalking strategy seems like the one I would be uh, kind of drawn to. Into. Oh, yeah. No, I think I've always thought, hey, I probably would be a better mule deer hunter than I am an elk hunter, but I'm so obsessed <laughs> with it because I love this. And this is probably my strength um, is stalking and ambushing. It's just kind of the slow patience stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing more like atavastic, right? Which is a really cool word for makes you connect with your like 30,000 year old man, right? Like it's kind of like, there's something in you that stalking something is like, that's hunting in my mind, right? You're, you're oh, like, like ancestral, you mean like something yeah. in our brain that's just like wired that way. Yep. It's just yeah. super fun. So it's a really, really productive method to elk hunt. It's not a very common method to elk hunt because guys all want to you know call them in, right? They want to hear mm-hmm. them come in, which is also why it's productive, right? Not everybody's doing that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, if you can get close to an elk without it knowing you're there, that's even better. Like there's a lot of times I'll hear an elk bugling a bull that's like lit up and bugling every, you know, two, three minutes. I won't even call him. I'll just walk in on him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my, usually my first play. And if I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I can't sneak any closer to him. Then I'll move back to like a hundred yards and then I'll start calling to try to get him to come to me. Oh, okay. Cause when they don't know you're there, they're not going to react. They're not going to do anything, right? right? Especially if they're comfortable, they're bedded, or they're just kind of hanging out in a little area. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one tip for Scott, uh, for stalking is like patience. I mean, you said it when you're talking about the rabbit, but to take 45 minutes to sneak up on a rabbit, that's a lot of patience, right? <laughs> uh, and that's really what that sets it apart. And guys are like, no, duh. But I think the the hardest thing about stalking is that you can literally have the best stalkers I've ever seen are guys that are like, they know when it's impossible, right? When you're a newbie, you don't know that there's impossible situations Mm -hmm. and you just, you have to wait until you know it's possible. Interesting. And of all the elk screw ups I've ever done, this is probably number one because after like two or three hours, I'm like, I can't take it. I'm going in. And then wind swirls and it's done. And the only thing worse than sitting there two or three hours is like blowing it in 10 seconds. <laughs> and you're like, oh man. Yeah. So it goes back to the camping thing where if you're comfortable being in that area for a while, you're comfortable being pretty, uh, pretty patient. So how do you know if it's impossible? Wind. It's like wind switching. And um, another one is a look and it's all really, really dry crackly stuff between me and the elk. There's a mm-hmm. big open area between me and the elk and I need him to move into the timber on this side so he can't see into it. You know, those kinds of things. Okay. Right. It's wow. Like, so oh, so yeah. if it's impossible and you know, it's you, you just have to have not only the patience, but the discipline to see it objectively. Don't let your emotions get ahead and back out. Mm-hmm. And or that's just, what will or make just you. wait. Yep, because oh, man. the best stalker on the planet is probably only 50% better than a guy who's like, okay, 
Like it's oh. not like you can get around the fact that an elk can see you in the open, right? No human right. can do that. Right. And right. so uh, that being said, like there's nothing that that person, what makes that person great is they know they can't change the situation. Dang. So they just got to wait. Wow. Right. And that's really difficult with elk hunting because it's like this, this magic mix of like being incredibly aggressive and being completely passive at the right moments. Um, yeah. It's really hard to know when to flick that switch. Do you have an example of that from your, your experience? Yeah, so we were a great example of this. Um, we were on a ridge. The elk is actually the photo I have up here on the article at the top. Um, there's 14 elk in the photo. You can't really see them, but they're all right in the center. Mm -hmm. um, we're watching those elk. Uh, guys can go look at that, but we're watching those elk. And that right below us, there's a bunch of timber. You can kind of see it in the photo. And when you drop in, there's a great little path that we've had a bull come up and spook before. Bummer, yet another wasted opportunity. But we walk right down that and they're in that meadow and the wind is kind of swirling a little bit left to right there. And I'm trying to see if I can talk this through on a podcast. Basically I'm coming straight into, I'm paralleling the ridge and there's a meadow kind of on the side of the ridge. Mm -hmm. And for me to be able to take the shot, I need to work around the bottom of the meadow. Um, and so I'm sitting here waiting for them to kind of slide down the meadow towards that area because I know that's the only angle at which the wind is going to work. Mm. And there's a few trees in the middle of the meadow. I've two or three times tried to get at them in that meadow by going tree to tree and whatever. Um, and in that situation, I did that. Wind switched. They blew out of there. Oh, man. Versus if I'd just taken the time to get down there, post up, wait for them to move down lower, I think you know, I'd got within 100 yards of them. And if they'd been there i would have been within 10 20 yards of them wow so the right thing to do would would have been to stay back a little bit and, and just wait for them to drop down while the wind switches so it doesn't blow keep watching it when i took that photo it had been three and a half hours already uh, oh. i just didn't have the patience to wait because i wanted to hunt the other side of the ridge that night so i thought i'm just gonna try to make this happen now mm -hmm. but be, and then i went to the other side of the ridge that night and there was nothing so i'm an idiot but I should have just waited. Never leave elk to find elk. Should have just waited another hour or two till the thermals got dependable and then gone for it. Oh, that's crazy. Cause that means, wow. Cause if you had waited even longer then you might've not even had to go hunt the other ridge, huh? Cause you might have one on the no, ground. <laughs> not at all. Oh yeah, totally. So it's a, it's hard. Cause it's like, do you push this? Do you not? There's never yeah. a clear answer mm -hmm. uh, with that stuff. So that's the patient. That's the, the patient side of it. Um, another tip for stalking when you're doing that is to come in on these elk sideways. So this is something I learned from spearfishing. So all predators in nature, they find their prey, they go straight at it, right? Like they're not going to think I'm going to, some animals are smart enough, like wolves might, but the majority of animals are going to sneak in on them straight away. So animals, you and I, like if you go out into the woods, I could run this experiment real easy, but not right now in a time of COVID. If we go camping together and I go out into the woods, I say I'm going pee and then I make growling noises and I start walking straight towards you. Even if I'm 50 yards away, you're going to freak out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Versus if you kind of hear me walking around you or like something walking around you, you're kind of like, what's that? Mm -hmm. Right? There's something innate in you that when something comes directionally at you, you're like, it's coming for me. You know, it's coming for you. Yeah right? Because it's clearly knows your location. Mm -hmm. So with elk, I've, I think they pick up on this the same way. And I've, this is one that I'm, I've, this is my pet, pet belief. Um, but if you are stalking them, never, never like go in directly at them, mm -hmm. 
pick kind of the downwind ish side of them and try to like pass parallel to them at like 30, 40, 50 yards, whatever your okay. shot distance is going to be. Oh, I see. I see. Cause they're used to things milling around in the woods, other elk, other things. Um, and if it's kind of going around them, they're like, Oh, whatever, no biggie. Mm-hmm. But if you start sneaking at them, they're always going to come check it out or look up at you. Cause they've got to verify what something is that's coming at them. Cause it could be danger. Got it. So head to the point where you think you can shoot them at a parallel, not straight to them. We're just, yeah. tr- just literally trying to close it. Yeah. This is one of the number one things you do spear fishing. It's like, you can't, if you, if you'd come off the surface, cause the fish can almost always see you. So it's about them reading your body language a lot mm-hmm. of the time. So if you come off the surface and you go straight at them, they're gone in 10 feet. Yeah. So you kind of have to drop straight down or to the side and then kind of just slowly slide in beside them. Interesting. <laughs> and this is, that's also where you learn patience, right? Cause underwater, your patience is how long you can hold your breath. So every extra 15 seconds gives you the ability to move in on them slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so in elk hunting, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I've got all the time in the world. Um, but yeah, coming in sideways really helps. Uh, it's a big one. And then, uh, yeah, you know, a little cliche for you, but slow is fast, right? Uh, we actually talked about this. We were at the range last week together. Um, we actually got to take uh, baby Bowman and Josh was there. We did a little social, socially distanced shoot. It's pretty cool. Got to see the whole deal. But remember when I was kind of demonstrating for you, when you're walking, if I say stop, you almost always have to go another step or two, right? Because you're, you've got that motion or that momentum. Yeah. Or your foot's midair and you at least have to like complete that step. Exactly. Um, and so if I was to tell you walk slow enough that if I said stop, even with your foot in midair, you could stop, you would walk mm-hmm. what a third is fast, right? Really slow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And small, that, like short steps, totally short steps. You'd look down at each foot placement. That's exactly how you need to stock, mm-hmm. right? Because very, very often any successful stock I can remember, an elk has looked at me at least five, 10 times. Oh, during the stock. During the stock. And so they've so, seen you. Do. Maybe not look at me, but like in the area I am, right? They'll look oh, up to wow. the right and I'll be there. They'll kind of look around. They'll go back to feeding. Um, okay. And so you have to be moving slow enough. You can't go faster than that. You can't get around that. So you have to move slow enough that you could stop at any point in time. Yeah. So during all your successful stocks, you can see the elk the entire time, like as you're getting from that hundred down to that like 30 or 40. Yeah, sometimes you'll lose them. I mean, you'll come around something. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've stocked probably five elk within 50 yards when I had already tagged out. Like, it's just mm-hmm. part of the game for me. Like, this is the practice we're talking about. And that's why yeah. scouting after you kill something is the most valuable time on earth because you can, you can do stuff like that. Um, but it's almost always, uh, yeah, you might lose them. But you're, I mean, if you're within 50 yards in most dark timber, you can see them. And they're bright, right? They're tan, they're whitish, they're, they're easy to track. Yeah. It's not like, you know, and you can tell when they're, you know, another good thing to know is like watch, just watch a lot of elk on video mm-hmm. uh, because you'll notice when they move their head up, their body kind of shrinks and moves forward. Like it drops and moves forward. Like they have to offset the weight of their head moving. Hmm. And so their back kind of arches up and their butt moves backwards when their head is down and vice versa. Okay. So you'll learn that kind of stuff. And maybe all you can see is the butt, but you see that butt kind of swivel and move up and like jerk mm-hmm. and stop. And you're like, oh, he moved his head. He's, he's looking like stop moving, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so little little tiny things like that all add up like crazy Wow. Um, over time, right? And it's hard to describe mm-hmm. them on a podcast, but if you kind of know to look for that, you'll figure it out in a day or two. Okay. Yeah. So it's all sorts of good tips. Um, oh, man. 
We're getting there. Ambushing next. Should we talk ambushing? Yeah. What is ambushing? So that's, uh, that's basically you're sitting there, right? You're just sitting a wallow. You're hanging out. You're waiting for something to come to you, right? Oh, Calling, okay, okay. you're making noise, stalking. You're trying to be completely quiet and get to it. Ambushing is you're hanging out somewhere. You think it's going to walk by or come in. Okay. Got um, it. And that's, like we said, sitting a wallow, sitting a likely trail, doing extra Y. And again, it's not black and white. Like there's a lot of nights I'll start the night by ambushing. I'll go to an area. I know the wind's good. It's really high odds. Like we talked about locating elk. I'm hundred percent sure they bet up there and they come down one of these three trails. I'll hang out between two of the trails so I could take a shot at either. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just sit there to start the night. Right. And maybe mm -hmm. I get lucky one walks by or I'm sitting there and I hear one call across the valley and I'm like, cool. Now I'm into calling mode. Right. Or stalking yeah. mode, or I see one out in the meadow, and I'm like, "Okay, now I'm in stalking." So I'm kind of switching between those three tactics. Mm -hmm. so, but it's a really, really great one to have, just because when you're doing nothing, you have good odds, right? Like you're just sitting there, you have great odds. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to ambushing, like picking the spot is everything. And so this one's going to be really interesting to talk through. So ask me a lot of questions, but this is my pet theory, and I'm gonna see if I can coin a phrase here. Um, find the broken link. So elk, as we talked about, they always move into the wind. They're totally accustomed from getting to point A, bedding to point B, which is wherever they want to feed or be that night mm -hmm. in the safest way possible. And they always stack the deck, right? They know I'm going to move into the wind this way. I'm going to move through this area because I can hear things. Um, I'm going to take, you know, elk trails there aren't there for an accident, right? They don't take a trail through a really, really thick, dark piece of timber. They can't see more than five yards because something could jump out and grab them, right? their trails over time have naturally gone to places they know are incredibly defensible. Yeah. So the deck is always stacked against you or anything that's going to ambush them because they've chosen over time, the best routes through that area to be safe. Mm -hmm. That being said, it's impossible for every single area they go to, to be perfect. So that's what I call the broken link. There's always one little area they might not like that they have to go through to get to the other safe passage areas. Oh, okay. And the better you get at identifying that, the better you're at at ambushing. So let me give you the example I used in the article, which is there's this narrow valley we go up every year, and this is about as plain Jane as it gets. So that's why I'm using it. Wind comes up it. When the, when the air heats up, wind goes down and when the air cools, very predictable, right? The elk almost always travel up either side of the creek at the bottom of the valley into the wind in the morning or the evening, right? Mm -hmm. Almost impossible to ambush them, literally impossible because they can kind of see up the sides of the valley. Um, if you're anywhere near enough to, to ambush them on the trail, they're going to wind you before they get to you. Real big problem, literally impossible to, to ambush an elk in there. Next year, we came back, giant tree slide, giant avalanche, right? That knocked down a ton of trees, created an open area, and basically made this giant mass of like impassable trees down into the creek. And so what happened is the route they were on for a 50-yard stretch, they had to turn sideways to the wind and walk around this thing. Oh. And you could tell, you can watch their body language as they come up to it. They hate it because they mm -hmm. know for that 50-yard point in time they can't walk straight into the wind they have to go around this dark timber they get a little twitchy but that is literally the perfect spot to ambush them um, and we easily we margaret and i sat there and she didn't get the shot i easily could have taken it but i'd already tagged out on one one night oh wow um, and so that's what i'm calling a broken link right and there might be lots of those little broken links it might be a particular little dip 
in the terrain that they can see you ahead of time. It might be a little uh, thing they come around. It might be a patch of timber they can't really see into. It might be a creek bed, right? There's tons of these little areas. And so your ability to pick those out and go, okay, this is an area or it's a pinch point, right? It's just a narrow part of the valley. They have to go through the bottom part because there's rocks right. on the side. Um, finding that, or you know, alternatively, they really, really want to be at this one wallow, and you know, they have to come into it from this one way, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's something or somewhere they have to go, or they mm-hmm. want that enough that mm-hmm. they'll deal with the higher risk, right? Um, and that's where you want to set up um, to ambush them. So, any questions on that? Um, do you, can you e-scout those? Almost never. Yeah. Cause it's really, it's like micro, micro terrain. We're talking yeah. like tens of yards and like, it just doesn't show up in detail. Okay. Like this is, I know we were, I was showing you my spot on e-scouting the other week and I was showing you an area. Remember that area with the springs coming out the side of the hill mm-hmm. and on Google earth, it looks completely flat, but in reality, it's a series of like 40 yard benches. Yeah. Yeah. Google earth will always kind of blend over those areas right it just can't have that level of detail so it's almost impossible to scout those out yeah yeah and do you learn those by watching elk in an area for a while yep totally and you'll like i said you can watch their body language they might not be happy about going through there they might kind of sprint or trot through really quick um they generally they will never spend time there right they'll Mm -hmm. it's kind of the spot they like squirt through right when they start moving or something okay and you can also just watch them in the area and you go okay well if they're there and they're going to go to here this time of the day because you now know their behavior they got to go through all these areas down here and you're like oh look at that little area there's a weird kink in the creek there like Mm -hmm. maybe if i got on the outside of that bend you know yeah and then you just wait there huh yep exactly so uh, and this is how you in California, I'll go off on a little tangent here. I'm reading a really cool book um, by Saxton uh, Pope, which is one of the founders, of, one of the fathers of archery. And he's talking about Ishi, which is the last American Indian um, that ever was like fully Indian. They just like captured him out of the wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was teaching him how to bow hunt, which is fascinating to read about. And all the Indians had these spots, which I think are broken links they had all these hereditary spots where over hundreds of 200 years, they'd found out that everything was right to ambush them. So Whoa. we took them to one and there were like 200 deer carcasses, right? Cause it's this kind of point where it's just impossible for the deer to like not set up a good shot for you. Wow. So the Indians understood this, right? They understood the broken link concepts. It's uh, it takes a lot of nuance, but it's a great way to ambush stuff. Dang. When did you uh, learn about this broken link? Like how, how many years did it take you to figure out like this strategy? This is one I imported from spearfishing because a lot of the stuff we're doing, you have to be within five to 10 feet of the, uh, the fish mm-hmm. and you're moving from coral head to coral head or obstruction to obstruction. And again, they always move through everything to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So they're going to move to an area where if you come around a corner or you do something, they're going to see you before you can get to them. Yeah, they're just like elk, right? All prey is this way. They're smart. They play the cards to their advantage. But there's always this one or two little spots where there's maybe 10 open yards between two coral heads or there's a ledge of coral that's grown down over time and there's no other hole they can go through. And you just learn to follow a grouper on the ground, you know, just trail them for a few hundred yards above, you know, back far enough, he can't quite see you. And then you look, look ahead and you're like, oh, right there. And so then I'll drop wow. and move over to that spot really slowly and he'll move up to it and then boom. Amazing. So that's kind of, that's where I learned that, but it was a really natural application to all kind of, I think it's a natural application to any kind of hunting. 
Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's a fun. It makes fun sense. One. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes sense. It's just almost impossible for me to describe. Like if we hunt together this fall, I'll be able to point out like that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Like there's only one way to learn, which is for you to see. And so it's just, it's a hard one because we'll never be able to describe it well on a podcast or an article. But really hope you get one. Concept. Yeah, I'm really hoping you get one early opening morning and then maybe I can come over to where you are, <laughs> help out. pack it out and then get some help. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, no, I'm, uh, I'm motivated to shoot one quick this year because, uh, you know, it's going to be like the more time I spend as a dad, the more time I'm like, this is just literally priceless. I'll never have this time yeah. again. And yeah. uh, it's crazy to think that already in a few weeks it's changed, but like I'll only be able to elk hunt maybe 30 more times in my life. Mm-hmm. but I'll only be able to see my son one more time. So it's like, that's true. Uh, you got to do what you love. And like, I will, I'll be elk hunting and I'll be leaving them, but like, I'll be excited to drop something and yeah. Come hang. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So last two on ambushing, uh, I think we talked a bit about this the other time, but try to get into where you're going to ambush in the middle of the day. Cause that's when the winds are not really strong either direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I've set up a bunch of cameras uh, the past few years when I'm in there um, just because I'm curious is like what's going on and where the elk going in the area I'm in. I know they enter or exit that general vicinity by only two or three routes. So I like to put the cameras there to see if there's elk. And what I learned over time is that when I was moving into ambush areas near to the evening or the morning, the elk were literally leaving the entire area. So clearly I was spooking them without knowing it. Whoa. Uh, versus days when I'd move into these areas during the middle of the day, none would, none would leave the valley. So again, like you're just rooting terrain when you walk through it, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And so if you can go in in the middle of the day when the winds are kind of swirly and they're not going strong one direction, you can get into that area um, before it becomes a problem. Yeah. Before it gets too spoiled, huh? Yeah. And this is yet another reason it's great to backpack and do camp kind of where the elk are is because you don't have to move up to that point. Right. Um, but even if you're car camping, just like move up there at like one or two in the afternoon, get to where you want to be, just take a nap on the ground or hang out. Cause you never know, you might hear a bugle, you might whatever, but it just pays to be there. Yeah. Have you ever, um, taken a nap in one of your like amb- ambush spots and then like woke up to an elk nearby? No, but I woke up to a bear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> not a great feeling. Yeah. No, yeah. Was, uh, uh, but he was pretty far away. I just kind of heard the. A grizzly bear? No, no. Black bear. Okay. Really. Okay. I was going to say. Bow hunt where there's grizzlies. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons, but yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, I'm usually too wired if there's good odds of an elk coming in <laughs> to <Yeah>. sleep. <laughs> that but I, sense. one of my pieces of gear that's worth every ounce to me every time i go backpacking is a kindle mm-hmm. um, i used to hate digital books i'm a really fan of like physical books i have a giant library at my house i love it love reading um but the kindle is amazing because it it just gives me the ability it's another thing that basically is a patience hack mm-hmm. if i'm sitting there on a ridge or i'm sitting there waiting for stuff to happen if i don't have something to do it's pretty hard to yeah to do that but if i've got a great book it like gets my mind off of stuff for like an hour lets me relax usually puts me to sleep um, mm-hmm. yeah i love that kindle just to like to to be out there reading so that's a great way to get out there in the middle of the day and not worry about stuff yeah kill some time yeah exactly um examine the inside of your eyelids a little bit but uh yeah that's all good um last tactic i'll talk about on ambushing is I think we might have covered it. I just gotta stop saying that. Uh, is to make sure you stop every five minutes or less. 
every time you're hiking, right? Because the elk, especially ambushing, this is kind of like still hunting. You ever heard that phrase? I've heard it, but I don't really know what it means. So still hunting is a pretty Californian phrase because blacktail, you can't really, they're very, very erratic. They don't have patterns like whitetail. So they don't use the same trails every day. And yet they're incredibly, incredibly spooky and you can't really sneak in on them. So really the only effective way to, to hunt them other than being totally stable in a, you know, in a tree stand or a wide open area is to do what people call still hunting, which is to move, but they move so slow. It's almost like you're still, okay. You move up 20 yards, you hang out for 10 minutes. You move up 30 yards, you hang out for five minutes. You know what I mean? It's like incredibly slow movement. Mm -hmm. Um, that's too slow for elk, but the closer you are to that than just walking, the better. Uh, so if you're going into ambush, especially if you're going into ambush, I'd say this is anytime you're hiking in elk country. And we talked about that. Just stop every five to 10 minutes so you can hear them because you literally mm-hmm. can't hear bugles if you're walking. But especially if you're ambushing, you know, walk in, stop every five minutes. Just kind of hang out. Just look around, listen, right? And we'll talk a lot about the doorway concept next week. Every time you enter the new doorway or room, just stop, watch, look, right? That, uh, that's going to lead to more ambushing than you've ever had before. Like there's wow. been so many times I've been, you know, stop, we'll look around, boom, there's elk there and they're coming down the trail or something and you just bail off the side. That's how we shot the second one, right? We heard one bugle about a hundred yards away because we'd been still hunting in and then we like set up and then she came, uh, came into the wallow. So dang okay that it pays off it just pays to be patient right mm-hmm. if i could say one thing about these it pays to be patient yeah it's so tricky because there's times to be patient and then times to push ahead like yeah. it's crazy that in a one in an elk hunting trip you can you can sit in one place for hours or like you said earlier sprint across something yeah 200, for 200 yards in this and you're hunting the same animal that's just that's just so crazy oh yeah yeah, totally. That's part of the fun though. It's like it's on or off. It's changing. It's dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk shot placement next week, but also there's a lot of ways you really want to make sure you set up well for ambushes because if you have to move, it's bad. Right. Um, uh, but that's it. Those are kind of the getting close bits and hopefully I've said it like 30 times, got people all fired up for like how to make the shots and the little ways to position there. But that's kind of the glue between, you know, locating them and then getting close enough to make something happen. A lot of, just a lot of tactics really. Yeah. Do you think this glue part is the biggest area people mess up? Um, or is it the shot? I'd say the shot probably. Oh, really? The closer you get to elk, the more, to elk, the more likely you are to screw up. Okay. Got really, it. So next week. Is, it. I mean, there's, there's ways to screw up on each. If you're locating elk, it's really, really easy to screw up by spending too much time by not e-scouting ahead of time and like running the loop like we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. With this, it's really easy to screw up because you just don't really know the tactics and you walk through an area full speed and you don't use all three of these, Yeah, right? That's, that's how you screw up with this. It's like you over-depend on one, one of these things and you don't run the tactics that help you, right? Like you're mm-hmm. not like, you're basically hoping to, to hear out calling, but you're not doing you know, the 20 miles and the calling every two minutes, like you need to, to make that happen. Right. Uh, so that's how you screw up here. And then with shot with shots, um, just a little teaser, but guys, I hear this so much. Oh, the elk just hung up. This happened. Oh, it was an impossible shot. And that's actually true in the moment. But when that became an impossible shot was the lack of setup beforehand. Hmm. Right. Uh, I'm not saying everything is like someone's error. Like there are literally impossible shots, but 
Uh, that one's really easy to screw up because you don't even realize you screwed it up. You just think, yeah, oh, it wasn't me. Okay. So I think that's probably the easiest one to screw up is how you set up. Dang, yeah, that's the setup seems stuff. very elusive to me. Yeah. Yeah. But each week, these different topics are getting more and more clear. More and more interesting. Any uh, any burning questions you've got at the moment the guys should uh, should hear about? Uh, let me think. So we covered we covered the the general stuff, which is like all their senses: wind, mm-hmm. you know, noise, uh, motion, and outline, and then the specific calling, mm-hmm. stalking, and ambushing. Um, I guess when you're stalking in, you're not. Oh, yeah. What, you mentioned not mixing these things mm-hmm. at all. So I guess I'm realizing now, like when you're stalking, you're definitely not doing any calling, right? Yeah, and it's. Yeah, so it's hard because like I've, I've kind of said two things to you too, right? One is like you can transition from one to the other, mm-hmm. but there is definitely a, you don't want to mix it. Um, and I would say this, like if you are ambushing, it doesn't work the reverse way. So if you're ambushing, you shouldn't transition to stalking unless you're 100% sure that elk is completely unaware of your presence, right? Yeah. Because your whole thing has been relying on the fact you haven't moved. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're stalking, you probably, you definitely, definitely can't like call before you stalk, right? Because then they know you're there. Yeah. So they're looking for you. But it does work the other way. If you're stalking and it's just not going to work, you can't get 100 yards through that area, then you can transition to calling, right? If you if you move back a little bit, then start calling? Yeah. Or ambushing, okay. you can transition to calling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you can transition to stalking. So it's kind of like it works one way, but not the other. You can't go from calling or stalking to ambushing. Yeah. yeah. You might be able to say you're stalking, and they don't know you're there at all. And then all of a sudden you see them coming. You might just be able to sit. Ambush. Ambush. Oh, but that's, I see. You know, was that a successful stock or an ambush? I don't know. We have an argument, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so. see. So that, I see how they kind of, some can blend together, but some just do not work together. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Which, which tactic's your favorite? Stalking. I mean, I like stalking. It's yeah. pretty, because calling is pretty amazing. You do get the rip roar and excitement, but it's kind of out of your control in a way. Like they can just kind of run in some random way and like you can try to do a lot of things to rig the odds, but at the end of the day, yeah, it might just happen. And I also almost feel like the elk made a stupid mistake versus mm-hmm. stalking. I'm like, this is a hundred percent on me. I'm so wired the entire time. I mean, my heart's just ripping. It's uh, if I did it, I know I did a phenomenal job because they never found me and it was a hundred percent not skill, but like, you know, I, I did something well. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so I no, love all my questions. Yeah. All my questions now are like, how do you draw the bow so they don't see you? And like, yep. oh, that's, which is all next week. Huh? Oh yeah. We got to stop <laughs> so hard. So stinking hard. I uh, know. Or we can just record next week's now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's generally it. But any other general questions right now? I know you're like, what? A, we're like a month and a few weeks away, a week or two away. So Anything else that's on your mind other than this stuff that you're just like, what about that? What about this? Uh, general stuff about it. Let me think. I do know. I, I just need to book my car to rent a car for a month. I need I need to buy a couple more things like the game bags. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do need to broadhead, tune my broadheads to the, yep. uh, pretty soon here. Yeah. I'd say right now. Those are now, like the three ne- next things I think on my mind. Those are great ones. Young guys can read the fly versus drive or listen to that podcast or really early on. That was like third or fourth week. I think we mm-hmm. kind of came to that conclusion for you um, to do that. Uh, and you can rent, you know, one of the great things you can rent through these peer to peer car networks for longer term stuff. 
or for four by fours or things that aren't typical rental vehicles. It's like a, a peer to Oh yeah. Car share. That's a great way to look at it. Cause you can often mm-hmm. just go direct to the person. Yeah. Um, so that's a tip for guys that are, that are looking around. Uh, what was the second one? Uh, yeah. So car rental and actually a uh, quick question on that one. Do you think I should probably rent a car from California and then drive to where I'm going? Cause I can bring more stuff like the target and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We can hit that one after this, but I, yeah, okay, we can cool. just re-listen that podcast basically. It's like, yeah, it's, that's the trade-off, right? So it just yeah. depends on the amount of stuff um, you bring in. Yeah. So that, there's that next question was about game bags. Yep. Um, there's a bunch of different companies that make game bags. Um, the difference is weight. Yeah. So tag bags are golly. I'm trying to remember the other one. They all make a Taslin nylon one. Mm-hmm. And so they're all going to end up being like three to four ounces for a quarter bag, which okay. is about as light as it gets. And they're all super great. Yeah. Cause quality. I didn't realize how expensive they are. Yeah. And you're going to, for a set like that, you're going to 60 to 80 bucks for the whole set. Yeah. Um, versus you can get like some other great companies, Ovis Sacks, you know, Alaska game bags, caribou ultralight. Those are, those are good, but they're going to weigh more. They're going to be like six to seven ounces for a, and so you add that up and it's like a half a pound or a pound. Yeah. Do you think um, it's worth investing in a nice pair? Oh yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is one area where it's like well worth it because game bags, you can bleach them, you can wash them, you can do whatever and you use them for years. Okay. And oh. so they're literally just dead, dead weight. And the only thing worse than buying game bags is like next year, you're like, well, I want to save like almost a pound. Right. And then you buy another set of game bags and you've got a set of game bags you'll never use. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. With, with game bags, the other thing, since we're going is that there's these boned out meat sizes for these things. Mm-hmm. I made this mistake. The first time I went, if you bring a set of boned out meat bags for an elk, you have to bone it out. You can't right. shove a quarter in there. And uh, we'll talk a lot about this in the packing and butchering section here in two weeks, but uh, there's a lot of reasons. It's nice to leave it on the bone, save you a lot of time and effort. So I generally carry complete quarter bags because you can always put smaller stuff in a bigger bag, but not vice versa. Oh, complete quarter bags. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was the third one? And oh yeah, broadhead tuning. But I yep. can re-listen or, or check that's out that one. Yeah, yeah. But that's just the next thing on my mind that I got to do. That's a great. Yeah, that's a great thing to do, even if you're mid-tuning practice or whatever, just because it cuts to the chase. Mm-hmm. Like it shows you better than anything else. You know, is it, am I getting the result? I'm not. So, for example, last week I've been shooting 63 pounds. The last six months, down from my normal 68. Mm-hmm. 67 uh, and i just noticed yeah we were at the range together remember and i noticed them drifting like six inches to the left at 100 um uh i think i got lucky that day too remember that it was like a five shot group the size of my hand josh thinks i'm an amazing archer that's good <laughs> it was crazy at 100 yards yeah it was really i was definitely on that day um but so so guys that are like wait 600 six inches left at 100 yards you're crazy i'm like no well the group was like six inches so um, I just dialed it back up like three, four pounds and then went and then shot a broadhead real quick into a target and, uh, it was spot on. Hmm. So it was going to the left at 63 pounds and I oh. dialed it right back up and boom, it's on. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't even really need to tune now, which is awesome. Nice. Cause that's the setup I had last year has stayed exactly the same for a year, which is a incredible testament to the strings. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, those are the the top things on my mind um, coming up next. And then obviously in two weeks, I'm going to tack total archery challenge in Utah. So I'm going to shoot some 3D targets. I've never shot a 3D target before. So it'll, and also going to be at elevation. So I feel like that's a awesome. good like, training or practice experience. Yeah doesn't get much better. And I think what you take for granted, and I did too for a while, is here in California, we've got these two or three world-class 3D archery courses available year-round. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys don't get that. Like Even if you live, ironically, in like Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, you sometimes don't even have a great course nearby or it's like all open land where it is. And yeah. so to get that opportunity, it's, it's really great. That's phenomenal oh, practice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think Bowhunters Unlimited uh, in like Saratoga, they do Tuesday night 3D shoots. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to start signing up for that. Yeah, no, that's a great yeah. great way to do it. But other than that, I'd say the last thing to do right now for you and for a lot of guys is like I put that giant checklist up on that website. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm saying this is because I just did it three days ago and updated the checklist is run from that through that thing top to bottom. It's a list of every single thing you need to go elk hunting. Yeah. Well, it's a list of two things. One, all the things you need to do beforehand, which is different than a lot of lists. And then it's a list of all the things you need to buy. So to buy. And yeah. so you can run through that thing top to bottom. And then I just made a list of all the things that I ran out of, I don't have, or I need to upgrade or change, or I want to test. Yeah. And that ended up being like 20 things. So oh. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of ordering and stocking up to do you know whether it's something as simple as food or oh, i need another wind checker or two more gas canisters or you know what i mean it's all the yeah way. yeah i've been buying stuff but i'm glad to hear that it's updated i'll, I'll check it again yeah. um yeah i just bought some like merino wool underwear and like little nice. things like that but uh yeah yeah i should buy that stuff because I, I was just even looking right now like the tag game bags on black Ovis are like sold out it's like dang okay yep. yeah exactly website. you, you want to yeah. get it we talked about this on the timing of when to buy gear and that other one but you want to get mm-hmm. it sooner rather than later because yeah, you get to test it and if something's wrong you can still send it back and be just sells out like everyone waits to the last few weeks just how it is so if you yeah. need that you'll get better deals and actually find things instead of frantically running to walmart and buying something you don't like yeah, I keep getting packages of the house with small stuff. Like today, I got like the super glue for like the fletchings. My mom's just like, "What are you buying? What are you doing?" Yeah, <laughs> you're like, "Mom, yeah. mom, we're providing meat for the family." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another problem. Like, we don't have any fridge space. My mom is very against buying. I, I live with her right now uh-huh. back here, but she's like, "Man, like, we're not buying another freezer." So if I if I am successful, I think this year I'm going to be giving away a lot of stuff. But yeah, where you're going to be. Selling her hard and buying a small chest freezer. I'll talk yeah. to you that one. I had to do that one. Too. <laughs> I, uh, I have a small place here in San Francisco. I had to convince some family and friends to go in on a chest freezer. But there's ways to do it. We'll do a podcast on how to sell your family and friends. On <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that'll be a great problem to have. That's a really good problem to have. We call it In tech, we call those champagne problems. Champagne problems. Because they're problems you have when you're spraying champagne. You don't even care. Nice. <laughs> right. it's like how what will i do when there's ten thousand users on my app it's like well that's a champagne problem man like, yeah yeah you're, 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 <laughs> if you get to that point you're happy you don't care yeah totally yeah. Um, all right cool cool i think that's uh that's it for this week wrap it up next week shot sequence oh man that's gonna be exciting good times all right guys thanks for listening if you want to get everything youtube website podcast instagram all the stuff in one place uh, you can sign up for the newsletter on the website and I'll just send one email a week. I hate spam as much as you do. It's just the way of keeping it fresh. Um, other than that, 
subscribing and liking is super appreciated. We're putting a lot of effort into this. Hopefully it shows. Um, and that helps us get the word out to more folks. So appreciate everybody and, listening, especially Jaron. Shout out at the back end. Uh, we'll give out shout outs for guys that drop me a line. Um, thanks, Jaron. And then, yeah, the website is baxterbowman.com to sign up for the newsletter. And the links are all in the show notes, guys. And just click right through there too. Talk to you next week.